The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. He may seem like a mild-mannered engineer until you install an HVAC system improperly. Then the whole turning green Hulk shirt-ripping thing happens, and it's not pretty. Here's Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where it's our goal to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance techs by helping the two professions work together. I also host the ResTalk Podcast, where you can learn more about the rapidly expanding world of home energy ratings and peripheral topics. Today, I'm joined by Marty and David Endersky, a father and son team that built Encon, an award-winning, New Jersey-based HVAC building solutions company. We're going to hear how David has reinvigorated the company that his dad founded by implementing some modern technology and techniques after he took it over from his father. They share their best practices and what set Encon apart. You'll also hear about what David envisions for the future of the industry. You can follow Encon via their websites, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube, and all the links are in the show notes. So let's listen in as Marty and Dave Endersky tell us about Encon, a unique generational mechanical contractor. We're very pleased today to have a father and son team from New Jersey, from the beaches of New Jersey, I just learned a couple moments ago. That would be Marty and David Endersky. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Bill. Pleased to have you join us here. And I found the topic very interesting, the way it was presented to me. You came to me and were interested in getting on the podcast about a generational business that's been invigorated. We got to go back a little bit in history and time and figure out when did this business get started and why was it founded? And I'm going to ask Marty that question because I think he might have closer to the answer. David wouldn't remember because he wasn't born yet. So uh, <laughs> okay. I'll have to settle that one. I had an engineering background, and then I spent two years in Army aviation. And during that two-year period, I had a lot to think about. And one of the things to think about is I did not want to go back into just an engineering job and, and sitting at a desk. So I, I looked long and hard in different industries, and I looked at the construction industry. But having a mechanical background, I felt the best part of that construction industry would have been HVAC. So I really had a very laser focus when I did get out to get into the HVAC business. So I started out uh, working for a rep for air outlets and cooling towers and unit ventilators and all kinds of product. Stayed there for about a year. And then I got a job with a contracting company that eventually went out of business. And I thought I learned a, enough about their business as I saw all the mistakes they made to try it on my own. And that's really how we got started. Very interesting. So you learned from the mistakes of others. You worked in it. You had hands-on experience and you saw a better way. You had a vision for a better way of doing this. Bill, I thought I saw a better way. Okay. All right. All right. Does that foretell that was the road bumpy going forward from that point? Yeah, it did get bumpy for a while. Like any other business uh, that goes through growth, there's always you start out and you do everything yourself and they say, gee, if I only had somebody to help me with this, I'll hire somebody for that. Then if I only had somebody to help me with this, you hire for that. And before you know it, you've created something that takes probably more management skills than you ever thought you had and, and less technical skills. And what time frame was this when you started things? We started, actually, we opened up our door in October 1968. 1968. Wow. Let's find out a little bit from David here. When did David get involved in the business? When he was born. 
Yeah, I think I got involved Bill at birth. I grew up in and around the business, whether coming to work with my father on Saturdays or eventually high school and college summers. And really, as soon as I graduated in college, it was kind of the path chosen to come into the family business full time, which was in the early 90s. I'm sure you're very proud of the business. You're proud of what you've done for your yourselves, your family, your community. And usually on podcasts, I like covering some stories. Marty, can you tell us one of the the most impactful things that you feel has happened over the course of your time with your company? Yeah, I think that one of the really impactful thing was really when David came on board. Frankly, I didn't think he was going to come in. David was an avid skier, and I thought somehow he was going to stay in the ski industry. And then one day he said, gee, I think I'll take a hand at this. And it was probably the worst possible time because the business had gone through some pretty disastrous uh, loss of receivables at that time. So there was a lot of layoffs and it was really time to really restart it. So it was not the best of time. Looking back on it, it was the best of time, but at that point, it was not. So here we got this newbie and son or no son in this business, you have to carry your own weight. There's no option about it. David came in and we started reinventing the business and he picked it up amazingly quickly. Okay. So reinventing the business, that's an interesting term. David, can you explain a little bit what that means to you when you say reinventing the business? We had some market sectors in New Jersey here back in the early 90s where a lot of public work, um, there was an opportunity to bid public work in a very different format than was traditional. And we had entered into that market and we had to really grow through those pains. You talk about what you learn in school and college and then what you really learn about on the job. And the world of hard knock education came very quickly when we were in the middle of some real turmoil and changes. And I was asked to be part of things that were well over my expertise or experience at that point and just had to figure it out. And we just had to reinvent who we were as an organization, as a company, as a culture. We'd lost some talent and we had a bunch of young, motivated, smart, hardworking people here. And it was, all right, let's go. Let's try something different. It sounded like a lot of teamwork was involved there, like group meetings and tear it apart the problem and restructuring things. Can you tell us how that goes? Bill, in today's world, I guess we call them huddle meetings or mm-hmm. back then it was cell phones. I think in the early 90s, one of our first projects, we had Nextel's push to talk that worked sometimes. So we would go to each other's houses or the local bar and say, okay, who screwed what up today and how are we going to fix this tomorrow? And The world of communication was obviously beeper-based back then, and it was just very, very different. The speed of communication, especially when you didn't know what you were doing or where you were supposed to be going, was a unique way to learn the business. And again, we got thrown into fires and just, we had no other resources. We were just told to fix it, figure it out. Yeah, Marty, what's your perspective there? Yeah, I'll add something to that. When David first came in and we really were, really were very close to running out of cash, We had a lot of big public projects to finish, and they were all bonded jobs, so we had very little choice but to finish them. So David would go out to a job meeting on stuff he really knew nothing about. I'll never figure out how we got through those meetings, and we did. So there were two phases to this. Phase one was dig out of what we had, and then phase two was figure out what we had to do going forward. And David, at that point, most of our work was bid work. We were pretty good because we all here had good technical backgrounds. And David came in one day and said, let's just change marketplaces, go into the negotiated work and the design build work. And my comment at that point is, David, we're not in that market. We don't know enough people. And David said, yeah, you know enough people. Let's do it. 
So it was sort of a plunge into a completely different pool of work. And that was one of, I think, the keys to getting us to where we are today. We got into that marketplace and we were able to expand the business into far more than just HVAC, into controls and energy and engineering and all those very, that are normally individual businesses. If you broke us down to our core business, and I don't know what that is, it's just a combination of three or four or five really separate businesses from engineering to sheet metal, to piping, so on and so forth. So what's your service territory? What kind of geography do you cover? As a norm, New Jersey. But for the right clients and the right opportunities and the right perspective stuff, we'll travel outside. We do some work in the five boroughs now, some in eastern Pennsylvania. But it's really a matter of logistically, we self-perform our own work. So making sure that we can realistically deliver the promises that we make for milestones and completion dates. We did a big job years ago in the Bronx and the trip over the GW just became too much for our crews. We had a lot of crews that were traveling two hours a day two hours on a good day. And then you get on the GW and there was an accident and it could be a four hour ride. Yeah. How do you build that into the project? Yeah. Yeah. So it's difficult. So we've been able to hire some real good talent in North Jersey now. So it's not quite as far, but logistics are a big part of what we do as a self-performing contract. I'm going to ask you both the same question and I want to hear both kind of versions of your answer. And I'll ask Barty first, what sets NCON apart your company? One of the main things that sets it apart is we ne- we just do what we have to do and we do the right thing to satisfy our client base. And period, whatever that takes. When something goes bad and we have to fix it, money is never the issue. The issue is we got to fix it and make it right. I think that's one of the things that sets us apart. And the other thing that sets us apart is the broad spectrum of work we get involved with. If somebody calls us now and says, what can we do? Because we're concerned about the COVID, what can we do for your air? We can do that. And we've delved into that and learned that. And it's more than just selling a product. We understand all the products that are in the market. And we understand everybody's needs are different. So we can really educate a customer to do that. If they have a control problem with some of the big buildings, we can do the control side. If they have a room that really needs some engineering work, we can do some engineering work. So I think that the ability to just take care of whatever the customer's needs are that relate to it. We do electrical as well now, so it's just amazing how really nobody could call here with a problem that we can't help them with. So it's really customer satisfaction and quality of work is the nutshell on that. David, tell me what your view is on what sets Incon apart. So yes, we do have a quite competent technical competency here, but we also spend as much time on our internal customers, our team here and our culture, as we do serving our external customers. So we're a place where people come here. We've got talent here for, we've got two gentlemen here over 40 years. I'm here 25 and there's still a a third of the company here longer than me. The team here, highly talented, highly skilled, can really get jobs anywhere they want. And we do a good job of attracting talent. And we put a lot of energy and effort to our culture, to our work environment, and make sure that for everyone that's working hard, that they get both financial reward and other satisfactions that When people come here, you'll hear them talk, oh my, this never happened before. And we're big advocates to say, okay, tell that to people that are here 30 years because they might've forgotten. So we do a lot of those touch points to make sure our our in-house team is equally taken care of. So along the course of the way, people must've recognized that. Are there any awards or anything in particular that's come your way or significant recognition? We started an award in 2001 for a gentleman 
He was a great tech. It was during our transition year and he had an opportunity to become a police officer. And again, we didn't know if I would collect the paycheck, let alone anyone here. And he went that route and unfortunately had a tragic accident in the line of duty. And we started an award in Robbie's name. And my father gets the privilege of doing it every year. And it gets harder because not everyone, you know, there's less people here that knew Robbie. But when we started it, it was always, are we always going to have enough people to give the award to? And year after year, every year when we sit down and we have the discussions, there's five, six, seven super qualified people that are deserving of the award. And we choose the best candidates. And it's been a great tradition. Marty, if you're going to get a point there. Yeah, I just want to add one more thing that, sure. that might really sum it up very simply. Tomorrow night, I'm not sure exactly the time, which is Tuesday night out in the parking lot, a few of the guys got together and were developing teams for a cornhole tournament. And that says it all. There you go. Just that kind of friendly atmosphere where people want to hang around together because you have the right team working together there. And that's pretty cool. Any kind of particular systems? I mean, it, it sounds like you both are very excited about telling your story. Any pointers you can give to anyone out there who's got a particular challenge with the business they're working in, and either as an employee, you know, staff member, or a business leader, anything in particular you would say, pay attention to this? I'll ask David first. Bill, at this point, we're fortunate because, again, we have a lot of the competence in-house, but we hire now more for character and culture. We can train the rest. You give us a good person that wants to learn, we'll teach them. We'll educate them. But I can't teach people to say please and thank you. We could teach people how to change a compressor or how to type a Word document. That That is easier than teaching people and reminding them to show up for work with a good attitude. So part of, we go through extensive interviewing processes here, even on the field technicians. We started a rule here years ago that you cannot get a job here unless you spend a day in the field with the crew. And they have complete veto power. They could be the best mechanic with the worst attitude. If our team says no, it's a straight up no, because they know that they're going to be working alongside that person in long, hot, sweaty hours. And they need to be comfortable. The team doesn't care. If you don't know, They will train you. They will teach you. But again, we can't teach someone how to be a good person. We work very hard on that. Marty, what's your take? What's some of the crucial elements that you see as the business is developed? Yeah, I think that is basically one of the keys to our growth. And what happens is the general contractors we work for, the owners we work for, really certainly don't know me anymore. And some of them may not even know David, but they know the tech that goes in, know the people that go there, they know the quality of the work they do, and they come back for more. Now with the internet and these podcasts, we're in a different world. But for years, back when the classified phone book was the big device, Mm -hmm. we never ran ads. We didn't have to. Everything, all our growth. All word of mouth. With all word of mouth. Yes. Reputation. Reputation. I want to take a minute and mention one of the sponsors of the Building HVAC Science podcast, Detson Industries. Detson's a member of the Ule Group. They provide sustainable solutions to the residential HVAC industry by offering systems designed to maximize comfort. So while seeking out the HVAC solution for my own high-performance home that's under construction, Detson products came very highly recommended by our builder. I was in communication with their engineering and marketing teams, and I became very impressed with their air source heat pump and smart duct systems. I plan to install these in my own high-performance home, which you can follow at sponehome.com, S-P-O-H-N-H-O-M-E.com. Now, this home is scheduled for occupancy in summer of 2020. 
Teachers are found over to Detson, www.detson.com, to learn more about their products, where they provide a wealth of detail. Especially interesting for me is the way their smart ducts are engineered to provide what I call subtle comfort. They work fantastically well, but you barely know they're there. If you get in touch, make sure to tell them the Building HVAC Science Podcast sent you. Thanks. What's the uh, genesis of the name NCON? Is it something really simple, emotional, impactful? Where does that come from? David. It's a great question because I'm not even sure how it it evolved over time because there was a name change back in the, I'm going to say maybe late 90s, early 2000s. And when we started, there was, we started out, we rebranded as environmental mechanical. It didn't come up in the name search that there were some others that didn't have the best reputation back. So we kind of morphed it, and then it became kind of energy and controls and re-blended it that way. And it used to be an NCOM mechanical, NCOM services. And with the branding campaign, stuff that we've been working on, said we don't need it all. And we now put the tagline under it as building solutions because, as my father said before, we're a very holistic approach organization. So if it's in your building, in your environment, we can really take care of it for you. That makes a lot of sense. I like the streamlining of it. That's very modern, but it's also very easy to remember. I mean, it's just a word that kind of falls off your tongue, two syllables. That's fantastic. The biggest challenge with it, Bill, was when Enron happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. One letter off. <laughs> we still get the question, were you ever affiliated with Enron? Bad timing. It'll be memorable that way. I'm a visual guy too. So what's the logo about? We're talking on podcast here, but the logo is a collection of three or four different colors, some rectangles. What does that express? That was a very dear friend of mine who passed away many years ago, came up with that. It was from a modern art painting, and uh, the artist's name was Maltese, I believe. And uh, From Mondan. Right. And then we just, as we got involved with our internet people and that type of thing, they just squeezed it and stretched it and did a few things with that. But they've also painted the trucks in those colors, and they're really eye-catching. The entire truck is painted like that. I'm amazed we don't get a call from the police saying it's too much of a distraction. (laughs) So it's got reds and yellows and blues and blacks and white spaces. To me, it sort of looks like a building. It says complexity, but simplicity, a little bit of like heating and cooling in there with the red and the blue. So I think it talks very well, speaks very well towards your business. Thank you. So- Obviously, you do internal education, it sounds like that, and the, from the cultural aspect to build upon the culture that you have in the individuals. Where do you go externally to learn? What sources or resources do you to pull information to stay on top of the future of the industry, the trends? I'll, I'll let Marty answer first. I'll start off with the fact that right before COVID hit, David decided we needed more space in the building. We took more space in the building. David built this, he designed it and built this phenomenal training room all glass for 40 people. The day it got finished was the day we decided we can't use it. And we do for some meetings now where we have to get space. So training is really a composite of what we do in-house, and I'm really not sure where we're going to go with that anymore, and outside seminars and sending people out of town to various schools to different products. One of the problems right now is way back when If you knew refrigeration and you knew some electricity, you could dive in any unit and you didn't need to know any of the specifics. Now, with the specialty units around between the computer room units and the pool units and the dehumidification units and the dedicated outside air units, everybody needs manufacturer training. So we do whatever we can 
to get people to those specific schools so they get pretty good at it. Anything to add there about training, David? No, just we really rely on our manufacturer partners. We send staff all over North America at this point. We allocated a fair amount of resource and budget to it. And then on the internal team, whether it's sales or customer service training, we looked at it recently and said, we spent so much time and resources on the technical side that we don't do it on the other side. Our software that we implemented a few years ago on our ERP, pre-COVID, they were in our office once a quarter. Now we're doing once a month with virtual training because you know software like anything else, we use 10, 15% of it, but we're constantly pushing. We get new people in as opposed to us training in-house. They do a four-hour webinar with our software provider. So we're constantly looking at different ways, different avenues to train both on the technical and the non-technical skills. Are there any signature projects or keynote things out there that somebody might be familiar with, a building or a project or facility or anything out there? I think one of the coolest ones we were involved in a few years ago was we actually air-conditioned Thomas Edison's actual house that he grew up in. So we had to do that with the National Historical Site, obviously, for preservation. We did a bunch of geothermal wells up there. But there were walls and fabrics where we just, there was no way to ever get into because we couldn't disturb anything. So before wireless sensors were as commonplace as they are today, we did things with wireless. We had to measure dew points in walls to make sure ducks could never sweat, couldn't have condensate issues, obviously, anywhere. So it was incredibly complicated, but it was also very rewarding to watch and see how the project actually took shape. Sure. That should be a real signature work there. What I like to say is I don't think there's anybody in the state of New Jersey. First of all, very few people may know who we are in the state and the retail environment. But I don't think there's anybody in the state of New Jersey who doesn't know who has been to some job we've done someplace, whether it's a hospital or just any type of institution or recreational place. If you went through the list of everything we did, I doubt there are very many citizens in this state who don't have an affiliation or a knowledge of one of those. A lot of these, I'm sorry, we may not have marquee names, but we've gotten to become experts of doing complete building changeovers over weekends, start Friday night and finish before Monday morning. There's some jobs we'll bring 40, 50, 60 mechanics to. And if the world saw it sometime Saturday afternoon, it's what it looked like when it opened, be amazed of what this team here can really do. And the beauty and the challenge there is if your stuff it's pretty much hidden and it works. Nobody knows it's there. And that's exactly what you want. <laughs> you just want them to feel the benefit and they don't know why it's there. That's a very challenging thing with HVAC and building and controls and things in general is when things work, nobody knows about it. That's the good part and the bad part when it, yeah, it, right. nobody knows it. But years ago, David and I sat down with a developer and spoke to him about energy versus other things. And basically what he said is nobody could see your product and I could tell them anything I want. They may not believe me, but if I put marble in my big atrium, when they walk in, they see that. Yeah. So the reality is a lot of our competition is maybe other HVAC companies, but maybe a, a marble atrium. Sure. <laughs> right. You'd mentioned the building changeover. They must take a lot of logistics. Can you give the listeners a perspective on the size of the business, the number of employees, the size of the project, something size-wise? Sure. So, Bill, this year, we just hired about our 115th person. Wow. We're going to do a, a volume-wise somewhere around 35 to $40 million. As my father said before, we did, a, we did an asset. We acquired an electrical contractor, so raised our top line a little bit and our um, headcount. 
And remarkably, we do it out of a 10,000 square foot building that my father owns. And we have zero extra space. We've had our logistics in here from site, from even our parking lot. When everyone, pre-COVID, when everyone was here, it was a complete disaster. Now that we had to implement a lot of social distancing and all the other protocols that we need to do, we're now rotating headcounts. There's some days we're trying to now live in a model where two people that do the same task can't be here at the same time. So the two women that do payroll, because we can't afford, God forbid, someone gets sick. We do have a, an operation here we need to be concerned of. Project managers, half them we don't see anymore. They're working virtual. We did a very good job pivoting in the virtual environment. And everyone's just got to be smart and flexible about who's here and when they're here. So we're very tight in our space. But also we're very conservative, fiscally conservative of how we spend and how we grow. As we wrap up here, any closing thoughts, Marty? Yeah, I really can't think of any. And I think you've done a remarkable job of digging in and finding who we are and what we do. And I think you've covered that very well, Bill. Well, thank you. David? As we do more of this and the world changes and becomes more complex, it become and obviously the world's relying more on our space. You talked before about how people don't notice us only when they work, but now in the world of filtration and air purification and air cleanliness and all the other things that are out there. So I want everyone to realize there are a lot of smart things people could do in their buildings to make it a healthier, safer environment for everyone involved. And it sounds like you have the expertise or you will find it when it comes to that. We work very hard to be current in it, Bill. Absolutely. So if anyone listening wants to get in touch, what's the best way to get in touch with NCON? So our website probably, our website and our social media handles are probably the two best, but www.nconmech.com is probably the best way to find us. And then on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the other social platforms that exist out there. Fantastic. Or we have the old-fashioned way of a, a telephone. What is that? What is that, right? Come on. Is that something that plugs in the wall? I don't understand. That's a beautiful thing, because that would have been the first thing I would have mentioned, yet it's the last thing we would mention. How times change. And I, let me ask you this. Do, do you remember our phone number? Do I? Obviously. I'm saying, when was the last time you dialed a phone to dial the Now with cell phones, I don't even give anybody the office number anymore. No. no. You can just talk into your phone. So I think I said somewhere age-wise between Marty and David here. So this is interesting to pivot and look in both directions for the generation. So excellent. Kind of brings a tear to my eye. I have a son who's in our business at True Tech Tools. And I think about the future when maybe somebody's interviewing me for this conversation in 20 years or so. We will do that. We'll interview you anytime. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's the first time someone's asked to do that. Thank you. You guys are you We'd guys be are happy awesome. to go. <laughs> All right. I want to thank you again for joining us here in the Building HVAC Science Podcast, a little bit different episode, talking about a generational business in the commercial environment. Some really interesting things and some little nuggets to treasure in this episode. And again, David and Marty, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Okay. You guys take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode with David and Marty Andersky talking about NCON. Here's a quote for today by George Santayana. The family is one of nature's masterpieces. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the Building HVAC Science Podcast or have a suggestion for a topic or a guest, please email me at bill at bluecollarroots.com. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools. In full disclosure, I'm an owner of True Tech. The opinions of voiced are those of my guests or myself, depending on who is speaking, of course. 
And if you're interested in some tools or test instruments that are mentioned in the podcast or in any typical areas for HVAC or building performance, take a look at what truetechtools.com has to offer. And you can use the code HVACBS for a nice discount. I want to thank you for listening and following us on the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.